I'm going to be reading for us today in Matthew uh, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. If you're reading out of the chair Bible, it's on page 984. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One, or on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Albert Einstein obviously had a mind that could fathom and comprehend the most complex of ideas. Uh, I'd give you some examples of some of those ideas, but I don't understand any of them, so I won't, I can't. But even though Einstein could understand like the most complex things, he was also a proponent of simplicity. One place Einstein wrote this, any intelligent fool can make things bigger, more complex, and more violent. It takes a touch of genius and a lot of courage to move in the opposite direction. And then he later wrote this, everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. I like that. Well, as we you know, gather together on a Sunday morning and we open our Bibles. What we study about is a pretty complex thing. We're trying to get to know the God of the universe. It's a pretty big subject, right? God is unfathomable. In some ways, we can't know and understand all that God is. So isn't it wonderful when he gives us like little pieces of himself that we can grasp and that we can hang on to. And really the most important things of God, the things that are most important for us to know, are not all that complex. They're pretty simple. They might seem foolish. They might be in some cases very difficult to do. But we can get our minds around the gospel and, and what it means to be a Christian. You know, a lot of Christian uh, materials, books, Bible studies, videos, a lot of it is trying to simplify, trying to put the things of God that we find in the Bible into terms we can wrap our minds around. And that's a good thing. Well, today, Jesus really shows us how it's done. <laughs> because today, Jesus shows us what it looks like to be a Christian, to live a Christian life, like in its purest, most distilled form. You ever wondered what God wants from you? Honestly, you ever wondered that? Josh just read it for us. Love God and love people. I don't want you to get your hopes up, but a sermon over this passage could be the shortest sermon in the history of sermons. It could go like this. Love God, love people, let's pray. Now it won't, 
but it could. That's what Jesus gives us today. It's simple, but it's not easy. And really, I'm not sure we'll ever be done mining the depths of what it means to love God and the result when we love others. Here's how this came up. In the last week of Jesus' life, his enemies want to get rid of him, silence him, control him, or kill him. But they're concerned if they remove him, how that will be accepted or not accepted by the masses of, of people. So what they've been trying to do, as we've studied over the last few weeks, they've been trying to trap Jesus. They've been coming one little group at a time with some sort of uh, trap conversation where they try to get Jesus to say something they can use against him in the court of public opinion. That's what's been going on, and it hasn't gone well for them. And today, this is the last trap attempt. This is the last one. And, and today, the Pharisees sort of take another swing. They've been up to Jesus before. And they approach Jesus in verse 34. And what they heard that, the, that, they, that Jesus had just silenced the Sadducees. That word silence in the Greek literally is the word for muzzled. It's like the word, like if you put something on your dog to keep it from biting somebody, that's what Matthew says Jesus had done to the Sadducees. That's not really important. I just think it's a cool word, so I want to share that. Uh, usually the Pharisees would be thrilled that somebody kind of stuck it to the Sadducees, but in this case, they have the same goal, getting rid of Jesus. And, and so in the, at the end of the verse, this translation says they assembled together. The Greek lets us know they are there for the same reason the Sadducees were there, to trap Jesus. That's important because this little story doesn't read like it's a trap. It reads like it's an honest question, but we know it's not. And here's the trap. In verse 35, the Pharisees, they put one of them. So this is a Pharisee who's also, a, we would call him a lawyer, a, an Old Testament lawyer. That was the law of Israel. They send him up to trap Jesus. And the trap goes a little something like this. I know it just seems like they ask him a trivia question. Which commandment is the greatest? But here's why it's a trap. The Pharisees know that there's at least some part of Jesus' ministry that's new, that's different. Jesus is definitely Jewish and a descendant of, of David. They don't dispute that. But his ministry and his message seems new, and it is new. And he has told them, Jesus told these guys, the Pharisees, that you can't put new wine into an old wineskin. You remember that? He was letting them know, um, you can't put my message into your old religious framework. Because just like the wineskin would burst and the wine would spill out, if you try to put my gospel message into your old Phariseeism, you'll, get, you'll wind up with something that doesn't do anybody any good. It's new. It's different. So here's the trap. I think what they want, they, they, they ask Jesus, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And here's what they're hoping. They're hoping Jesus will say something like, commandments in the law? Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm done with all that stuff. That's the old way of doing things. 
See, they misunderstand about Jesus' newness. They thought he was anti-law, anti-Moses. Moses is their greatest hero. Anti what we would call Old Testament. They missed that Jesus also taught, don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to what? To fulfill them. Jesus is what all those things pointed to. So that's the trap. I think they're thinking if we can just get Jesus to denigrate Moses or the law, we'll have him. We can use that against him. People won't like him anymore, and we can get rid of him however we want. So that's the trap. They ask that question, hoping for an answer that denigrates Moses or the law. That's not the kind of answer they get, not by a long shot. And in fact, What's interesting in this whole verbal exchange that's pretty adversarial between Jesus and his enemies, this is the only time that somebody just gets a straight answer from Jesus. They ask a question and he just answers it. He doesn't ask him a question in return. He doesn't anything. They say, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, man, I can answer that. I'll give you one A and one B. Here's the way it reads. Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now, by first, does Jesus mean that's the first chronologically, the first command God ever gave? No, that was don't eat from that tree over there. It means this is primary. This is first in importance. It's redundant. In in, in Greek, uh, repeating things amplifies you know, we could consider it redundancy, which is a negative thing in English. But it, he's just saying, this is the greatest, bestest, biggest command. Love God with every part of you. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we, we all know, I think, that love is an important ethic an important quality in the New Testament. But sometimes we have the the mistaken idea that that's not the way God was in the Old Testament. That in the Old Testament, God was fiery, mad, and angry and was all about punishing people in wrath. And then in the New Testament, Jesus came along and God got a lot more chill and relaxed and loving than he used to be. And that's not true. We know God by looking at Jesus. They're the same. And that's why Jesus quotes from the law. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quotes, this is Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. You want to know what God has always been after from people? Always. Love God. Love people. Ten times in Deuteronomy, the Israelites were told to love God. We could open up the Ten Commandments and divide them into two kinds of commands. What are they? Commands about how to love God. Commands about how to love people. This has always been what God's been after. In fact, these are so important. Jesus says this in verse 40. All the law and the prophets, that's Jesus' way of saying the whole Old Testament, depends on these two commandments. I want to zero in on that word depend right there. If your Bible translates that hang, 
All the law and the, pro- and the prophets hang on those two commandments. I like that translation better because that's what the Greek word means. It's like this. Jesus said, you can take the whole Old Testament, the, for in his day, all of the scripture. It's like that is our faith and we wanted to hang that up on the wall for display. The nail that would hang, hold it there is love God, love people. And if you pull out love God and love people from the Bible, it's like the whole thing falls apart. It's really, really important. It's what God wants. It's so important. I mean, if this is the most important commandment, love God and love others. If this, if this is what God wants from you more than he wants anything else, he wants you to love him. Maybe we should be wise and spend some time kind of hashing out what that means, what that looks like, how we do that. So I want to spend most of our time this morning with what Jesus says is the greatest, the primary commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Elsewhere we read all your strength. It's just a way of saying with every part of you. That's the the heartbeat of our faith, the starting point, the foundational command. Everything else we do in our faith had better come out of our love for God or we just will not do it. It doesn't do us a lick of good. It's empty. It's vain. It's probably selfish. And this gets misconstrued and misunderstood all the time. There are millions of people who think they love God and they don't. So most of our time, I just want to go through how we love God with all of us. The New Testament tells us how to love God. What's the most important thing God wants from you more than anything else? Somebody say it. What's the most important commandment? Love God. That's the most important thing. It's what God wants from you more than he wants anything else. It's for you to love him. We better know how to do it. So I want to tell you three things about what it means to love God. Because if we mess this up, we're messing up the most important thing. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you want to throw it in, it's fine. Love it with your strength. But before we understand how we can do that, we have to understand this. Number one, we cannot love God without first understanding how he loved us through Jesus. We can't love God if we don't understand how he loved us through Jesus. You cannot, no one can, on his or her own, conjure up a love for God apart from understanding the cross of Christ. That's one thing that changed after the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. Nobody can love God anymore without understanding how God loved them through Jesus. I want to show you from the Bible how we know that's true. We are powerless to love God if we don't understand how he loved us through Jesus. Jesus' best friend, John. In 1 John, he wrote this. 1 John 4, 10. This is love, not that we love God, 
So if you, we have to love God, most important commandment. John says, but I want you to know, you just can't just start loving God. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then John added this nine verses later, we love because he first loved us. Our love for God, the only kind of love that does any good, has to come in response to understanding how he loved us at the cross. John said he sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. You know what atonement is? There's a churchy word if there ever was one. Atonement is how sin is paid for, covered, dealt with. Jesus came to to atone for our sins. Our sins separate us from God. The only way we are unseparated, the only way we are reconciled to God is through believing in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if we don't understand how God loved us through Jesus, it does not matter how we try to approach God. We will not approach God in love and be loved back. The only thing we will meet is God's wrath, God's punishment. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 5. Paul said earlier in Romans chapter 5 that we as humans, we were helpless, ungodly sinners. Every single person who has ever lived, Paul said, helpless, ungodly sinners are we. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's the most important commandment? We have to love God. We can't love God if we don't understand how he loved us. Here's why. It's like Jesus is the only conduit through which love can flow from God to people and from people back to God. I can be as good and as, as, as righteous. I can be as moral. I can be as self-disciplined as anybody out there. But Paul says, I'm a helpless, ungodly sinner. And I can bring all my goodness and righteousness to God. I really love you, but if I don't come through Jesus Christ... I cannot love him. It's like the love won't reach. This is why I say many, many millions of people think they love God, and according to the Bible, they're wrong. Because this is love. It's not that we loved God and tried to be really good. It's that God loved us by sending Christ to be an atoning sacrifice for us, and we love only in response to how he loved us. Three more scriptures, three more verses that back up that only through Christ can we love God. John again, 1 John chapter 2. Everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father either. The person who confesses the Son has the Father also. Later in 1 John, the one who has the Son has eternal life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. 
You got to go through the conduit, through the pipeline of the cross of Jesus Christ, of the gospel of John. This is Jesus speaking here to his enemies in John chapter 8. And he says, if you, if God were your father, you would what? Love me, Jesus said. If you really loved God, you would love Jesus. Because you can't love God apart from Jesus. That makes sense? It's really important. God said greatest commandment. You don't want to break the greatest commandment, do you? It's the biggest one. I got to love God. Well, I cannot love God without understanding how he loved me first. And then I love in response to that second point about the greatest commandment. Love God with all of you. First, we can't love God without first understanding how he loved us through Jesus. Second, we cannot love someone we don't know. That just makes sense, right? You can't love someone you don't know. You can't really love them. If we were in a culture where they arranged marriages... And even in cultures that are still arranged marriages, it doesn't work like this. But let's say your parents arranged your marriage and you didn't even know the person you were going to be married to. And you, they, they brought you someplace and all of a sudden you were married to this person you had never met. You're married. Do you love them on that day? No. Why? You don't know them. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. You may grow to love them. But you cannot love someone you don't know. Now, you can know someone without loving them. Right? You can know a lot about someone. And that doesn't mean you love them. All right, same is true for God. I can know a lot about God without loving him. But I cannot love God without knowing him. Now, again, back to the beginning of the sermon, God's a big subject. Bible says no one can know God. Well, that's a problem. God commands us to love him, and then he tells us, you can't know me. How do you love somebody you don't know? Fortunately for us, God has allowed himself to be known. John 1.18, in the Gospel of John, no one has ever seen God except for the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, Jesus has made God knowable. He has made him known. So here's where we're at. We have, what's the greatest commandment? You have to what? You have to love God. Can't love God apart from Jesus. You also can't love someone you don't know. So how has God made himself known? By becoming a human being. Like Jesus was 100% God. He's 100% man. Jesus was a guy. He was a dude. He was more than that, but he was that. We can know people. John in, his, in 1 John said, I'm inviting you into the fellowship, the friendship I have with my friend Jesus. That's the purpose of the book of 1 John. Now, here's the problem though. Is Jesus, the human being, going to come appear to you and like walk around and do life with you like he did with John? No. So how do we get to know this man, Jesus? His apostles, his friends, 
through the Holy Spirit, wrote down how we get to know Jesus, which is how we get to know God. You want to know why people like me encourage people like us to read our Bibles and come to church? Is it because if you don't come to church at least three out of every four Sundays, God doesn't like you anymore? You're not getting into heaven? You have, God likes you better on the days you read your Bible than otherwise? No. You want to know why? Because the greatest commandment is love God. And you can't love somebody you don't know. That's why we come here. That's why we open this thing. We're trying to get to know the one we're commanded to love. Greatest commandment. What God wants from you more than anything else is he wants you to love God. We can't love God apart from Jesus Christ. We also can't love someone we don't know. Once we get to know him, through Jesus Christ and in his word, we grow in the knowledge of him and we begin to actually love him. Last thing I want to say about the great commandment is that when we love God, it will result in obeying God. When we love God, it results in obeying God. Pay attention to the order of those words. I did not say... If I obey God enough, that means I love Him. I said, when I love God, I will obey God. John 14, 15, to His disciples, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey. One more time, remind me, what's the greatest commandment? What am I supposed to do? Love God. What happens when I love God? I will obey God. Keep the order in the order it was given. I do not do things for God so that he will love me. I do not even do things for God so that he will think I love him? That's not the way love works. Let me give you a personal example. I'll use my wife again, and she hates it when I do this. <laughs> I love Rachel. Because I love Rachel, there are certain things I do that maybe I wouldn't ordinarily do. For example, in the wintertime, her little fingers get these little splits on her fingertips, and they're painful, especially when they get wet. So I wash a lot of dishes in the wintertime because it, it hurts when she washes dishes. Now, so picture me in the winter. I'm scraping the baked-on cheese out of a pan while I'm doing that. Does that make me, does that conjure up in me all kinds of romantic, ooey-gooey feelings about how much I love Rachel? Does that make me love Rachel? If I just do this good enough, I'll love her. No, that would be ridiculous. How about this? Is it healthy for me to do it this way? I hope she's paying attention to all I do around here. Don't laugh. I know how your marriages work. She paying attention. Oh, you see how I'm doing this, right? What's she ever do around, right? That's not healthy. No. 
when I'm doing my marriage right, here's, here's what's going on. I love her, and out of my love, I'm, I'm doing something gladly that maybe if just left to my own hedonistic, pleasure-seeking flesh, that's not what I would choose to do, but I choose to do it gladly because I love her. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? Your relationship to God is no different. You want to know why a lot of us try a lot of spiritual disciplines, try to pray every day, try reading our Bibles, we try to serve, we say we're going to start doing whatever, we're going to go visit people, we're going to start a small group, whatever it is. We try and we fizzle. You know why? Because it doesn't make me feel the way I thought it was going to make me feel. I thought I was going to do this and it was going to make me feel these ooey-gooey spiritual feelings when I prayed every day. Listen, you're asking washing the dishes to make you feel passionately in love with your spouse. You got the order wrong. You work on your love. You do that thing because I love the one I'm doing this for. I'm not doing this so it will make me love the one I'm doing it for. Though sometimes it can work in both directions. I'm not going to lie. Psalm 113, I shared with you this morning about the weaned child. Um, I just think that's such a wonderful image. You know, you know I, I just, it just touched my heart. It gave me some warm, fuzzy feelings. You know, I found that because I decided I'm reading through the Bible this year. And when at the right time, I got to Psalm 113. It's this big. It's three verses. You know, my first uh, response was to finding out Psalm 113 was only three verses long. Like, sweet, this isn't going to take long. I just decided I'm doing this because I want to get to know God so I can love him better. And then right in the middle of that little three-verse psalm, this man, I can, be, I can be like a weaned child where God can take away from me what I thought I needed, but I realize I still have him, which is better. I do think that's why we, we try and fail. Because we want to feel a certain way from what we try. So we either quit or we just try stranger spiritual things to try and get that feeling we want. You know, when we understand how to love God through Jesus Christ. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. We get to know him better. It's almost like at that point we become married to God. Does that seem weird? It's his metaphor, not mine. In the New, in the New Testament, what is the church called over and over? The bride of Christ. We're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And just like any marriage, I need to cultivate my love and my obedience will flow out of my love. You ever notice the more you're around someone, the more you sort of pick up their habits and become like them? If you moved uh, down to the deep south and you were there 10 years and you came back here 
guess what people would start to say about the way you talked? They'd say, you talk funny. Right? Why? Because the more you're around someone, the more you get to be like them. If you decide to love God through Jesus Christ, you get to know him more and more. He will begin to make you more and more like his son. Obedience flows out of that love. All right, now that I'm like 36 minutes into this sermon, I'm ready for the second half of the sermon. But we can do it quickly, I promise. Because I have not even mentioned the second commandment, the one that goes with the first one. First one is love the Lord your God with all of you. We can't love him apart from Jesus. We can't love him if we don't know him. And when we love him, we will obey him. How do we know that that's happening? Click me one time there, Jeff. What happened there? There we go. The second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. We'll do this one quickly. Love of others is the measurable result of loving God. Love of other people is the measurable result of loving God. Back to 1 John. We've read part of this already. 1 John chapter 4. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. How did he love us, John? He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now listen. Dear friends, since this is the way God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. His love is made complete in us. And skipping down a few verses to verse 21. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. If there is one measure of how someone is doing loving God, it is this. Well, first, it's not this. It's not in the list of sins you don't sin. It's just not. That's important. I'll get to that in a sec. But the list of sins you don't sin can have way more to do and probably does have way more to do with how you were raised than your love for God. If, if my personal self-discipline and morality is my measure of loving God, what do we say to the Mormon and the Muslim whose personal morality is tighter than yours? Does their morality come out of their love for God? No, it can't. Because they don't love God. Because they don't, because they hate his son. Or they denigrate his son. Their love isn't in response. How much your loving God becomes evident in how you love others. It is all over the New Testament. A new command I give you. What is it? Love one another. Charles Spurgeon was in a conversation. He was, he was uh, in a different city. And there was a big dinner, and he, I think he was at a table with a woman who began, they were talking about spiritual disciplines and things, and she began, she was going to impress Charles Spurgeon with her Christianity. And she started in with what she didn't do. She does not, it was the whole, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't hang out with folks who do. She, she did the, uh, you know, I, I don't drink, I don't go to plays, I don't read frivolous books, 
she said, and just the whole list, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. And finally, Spurgeon slammed his hands on the table and said, woman, can you please, for the Lord's sake, tell me something you actually do. Because there's the danger. When I measure my love for God in the sins I don't sin, the danger is called legalism. Um, uh, Pentecost, great preacher back in the day, he used to say this, the danger with legalism is not that, that there's, a, there's a bar of morality that you can't reach. The danger with legalism is that you will set a bar of morality that you can, that I can reach. And so here's what happens. I feel pretty good about me and how I'm doing with God because look at all this stuff I don't do that other people do. But then here's what starts to creep in. The people who don't reach my bar, I have a built-in excuse to be rude, to ignore, to be mean, to be uncaring, and to not love. But do you see what's happening when I get there? John says, since God so loved us, how did God love us? He sent his son to die for us when? When we were helpless, ungodly sinners. And John said, that's how we're supposed to love people. Not just the people who reach your lofty heights of righteousness. The people who don't, because we're supposed to love God, love others the way God loved us. That's why our love of God in response to how he loved us makes us more like him and we start loving other people. Is personal, personal morality important? Yes. If I'm a Christian, will, should I sin less now than I did two years ago? Yes. But why? One more click. Help, help a brother out. Thank you. John, this is Paul in Romans. I know this is kind of long, but bear with me. Paul's, he tells us that every behavioral command in the Bible can be worded in terms of love. Here's what he says. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. And if there's any other commandment, all the other commandments too are summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's all you need. Why? I shouldn't steal from you. Why? Because I'm too good for that? No, because if I love you, I won't steal from you. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And that's why love is the fulfillment of of the law. Again, Jeff, going on. And we do this, do what? We're obedient. We obey the law. We do this, why? Because we know the time. It's already the hour for us to awake from sleep. Our salvation is now nearer than when we first believed. Verse 12, the night has advanced toward the dawn. The day is near. We're almost going to meet him. He's almost here. There's not much time. Verse 13, so let us live decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in discord, which is fighting and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get to know him, do life with him, love him, and make no provision for the flesh to arouse his desire. Is personal holiness important? Yes, but why and how? 
because I love the one who loved me first. And he loved me to make provision for my complete lack of obedience and righteousness. Go ahead, Jeff, to the last one. I got to land the plane. I had more, but somehow I took more time there. So let me just ask you as we, as we close here. How's your love life? How's your love for the Lord? Love makes behavioral commands. It makes demands of my time. Exclusivity. You would not say I was loving my wife if I was not exclusive in my relationship with her, if I ignored her all the time. Right? Same is true for my relationship with the Lord. How are you loving the Lord? Can you feel that leaking out into the way you love other people? If not, if you're you're stuck in sin, if you're stuck in selfishness, if you're stuck in in, uh, being able to accept or or, or go toward anyone who who is a a sinner worse than, than the way you sin, I do not challenge you to change your behavior this morning. It's not what you need. You know what you need? You need to love Jesus. You need to spend time with him. You need to go back to your first love. It's the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and love him more than I love anything else and to pursue him and to get to know him until his love for this wicked, wretched soul begins to change me into someone who will love other wicked, wretched souls. Would you pray with me and we'll close. Father God, we thank you so much for how you loved us by sending your son to die under the weight of our sin. God, thank you for bringing us here, not because it adds to our righteousness, but just because uh, being here and opening your word together adds to our knowledge of you. And we can't love somebody we don't know. And we can't love you apart from Jesus. But God, we know the more we love you, obedience will be the result and we will love others in your name. And that's, that's who we want to be. So Lord, help us focus this week on our love for you. And that that will prompt our obedience in loving others. We love you, Lord, for loving us first. We love you back in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay in the finish with us.